When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everyone, so it's time for a new pod. This time on today's episode, I got to sit down with the one and only Tommy Huss. Of course, Tommy was a former great player, top 10 player. He had some terrific wins throughout his career and amazing moments. Just one of the sweetest tennis players with the most gifted ground strokes. He had quite the emotional roller coaster at times on the court with his coaches and himself, but he was so fun to watch. Uh, we get into a lot of stories of his playing days. And then we start talking about his role now as the tournament director of the BNP Paribas Open. Tommy is a great listen. Uh, he has fantastic stories, and we get into all of that today on today's episode. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for joining. See you soon. Bye. All right, okay, we're already recording. Um, first of all, hi, Tommy. Uh, thanks for hi, joining Benet. me on my uh, little podcast here. Yes, um, I'm glad and thanks to. Thanks first of all, inviting us to this amazing place. Um, before we get to what your role is here at um, the BNP Paribas Open, I want to talk a little bit about your tennis, go back to that. What was the highlights for you of your career? Um, well, I feel lucky enough to say that there were a few good highlights in my career. I think, you know, in general, though, as a tennis player, you always tend to sort of look more at the uh, things that you sort of missed out on. Uh, it's an individual sport. I think we're all uh, critics of our, of our career, of our matches that we, we thought that we probably should have won, could have won, right? It's the should have, could have. Which Why one didn't jumps I? out? Which one? I don't know, like Marat Safi in 2002, uh, Australian Open semifinals. Um, you know, up two sets to one, feeling pretty good about my game that year. Um, and, you know, probably a good chance to maybe win my first slam. You know, Thomas Johansson, no disrespect to him, obviously. But, yeah. you know, at the time of that era to, to play him in a Grand Slam final, I'll, I'll take that any day. Um, but unfortunately, the rain came and, you know, it was like 45 minute delay and I was oh not God. the same Wait, player. Rain? Oh, you yeah. were not... Were you playing? Oh, you Rod Labour, rain came and then they closed the roof. And it took a little bit longer back in the day to sort of, you know, court got a little bit wet. Had to dry it off, close the roof, and you know I was still only whatever 24, I think, and a little bit inexperienced Experience. with the rain, and you know Marat just took advantage of it and came back uh, better as a better player, and I sort of couldn't find my game anymore, and you know lost it in five, and that was that was one that kind of sticks out that hurt 
Um, obviously, I played Roger a lot of the times in some of the slams. Uh, I think you have a winning record against Roger. Is that correct? In the early stages, yeah. in the early <laughs> stage before my shoulder surgery, actually, I did. Yeah, I had winning record against you know Roddick and uh, and Federer before my before my first shoulder surgery, end of 2002. So I had my best year actually, starting you know mid 2001 and then all throughout two, 2002 and. Um, you know, I got to a career high of number two and, you know, then the shoulder obviously started bugging me already for quite a long time in that year. And unfortunately, I had to go under the knife and, uh, you know, I was gone for about 15 months before coming back. So that was hard. And then uh, obviously Roger won his first slam in 03. So did Andy. So, you know, that was that was a tough pill to swallow. Uh, at the same time, I was... So you haven't, you haven't like, let it go, is what you're saying? I never let that go, no. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, that's something that will, you know kind of haunt me or you know be with me for the rest of my life for yeah. sure um, and the only thing that I can you know take positively out of that is that I have a winning record against Andy Roddick which is a good thing um, and uh, we have played a lot in the seniors which I know he doesn't really care but you know it's still <laughs> nice to sort of move him around a little bit and you know you know Andy's got such a great sense of humor and he always makes me laugh on court, and you know he's probably one of the best at it. I think, and so it's oh, always fun. Oh, there's no question he's the trash talker. Yeah, no, he is. Of all time, he is, and so he makes it fun. At the same time, you know he doesn't, you know, really want want to compete in in the seniors level so much anymore. Or definitely not run for a drop shot. So he, he always gives me that uh, daredevil look when I hit a drop shot, and it's not like I do it on purpose. It's just like one of those tired. automatic shots that I yeah. play sometimes. It's like okay, yeah. he's gotten to these four balls. Let's see. If I can, you know, Four. change it up a little bit. Four. Whatever is it, it is. Is the maximum yeah. in the seniors now? No, not really. I mean, look, I think sideways he still moves pretty good. But just to sprint, I think the mindset of, like, I'm not going to, you know, risk it to uh, to sort of, you know, have an Achilles tendon being torn. No, no chance. Yeah, because so he's a big unit. He is. He's he is. a big unit. Yeah, no, he is. He's, you yeah. know, he's, he's, a, he's a big boy. Obviously still serves as good as, you know, as he did before in my eyes. But then, you know, the rest, if you don't obviously maintain it, which is understandably, of course. you know. Oh, I know it well. Yeah. But then again, you know, and then same thing, you know, uh, you know, you look back at it and, uh, you know, I guess me beating Roger in, his la in my, one of my last matches. Actually, my last match I won on the ATP tour was against Roger, funny enough. I mean, and you know I what's crazy about that's it? That's a great time. That's a, just a great time to just drop the racket and be like, see you, Bo. Right. And you know what's crazy about that story? What? Is that after that match, I was playing in Stuttgart on grass. My family was there. My, my daughter, my oldest daughter at the time, and she, I think she was six, she was there. And I already felt again that my lower back was stiffening up during that match. But you know, when you're doing a match, you kind of somehow always with adrenaline, you find a you're way thinking, to finish it. I can get it. through this, yeah. And you know, I was playing Roger and I was soaking in the moment. And as soon as I won that match, I swear to you, I thought to myself, I'm going to take the microphone and say, this is it. I'm done. This so you won the match and you retired? No, no, I wanted to. I won the match and I said to myself, my lower back's already feeling like it's not great. This is as good as it gets probably for me, you know, at <laughs> yeah. this stage in my career. Yeah. My family is here. My daughter is here. Everybody is enjoying it. I'm truly enjoying it. I said, this, is, this should be it. Yeah. And then I said, but, you know, maybe there's a chance I can maybe get further in this event. I still want to go to Halle, which is yeah, my yeah, tournament yeah, I won twice. I still want to go to Hamburg, which is my hometown. That's my first, you know, tournament I remember as an eight-year-old watching. Still want to go to Austria, Kitzbühel. My parents are Austrian. So I said, I can't do that to those events because I still want to play them. Nah. But I never won a match after that match again, <laughs> right? It was like the mindset was like, I think I'm done. I'm yeah, finished. Yeah. And I could not win any big points anymore after that. Why do you think that's so? Because it's like that's you just, just switched a way. Off, yeah, I, I think somehow I switched it off and, uh, you know, kind of just said this was the moment for me. 
Um, and I was so furious inside too because literally the next day or two, even for longer periods, I could not even really train anymore. My lower back was actually yeah. a big mess at the time. And so I had so much of a high, yeah. but so much hatred towards myself once again that my body is letting me down that I was like, I probably just should have said it's over. Yeah. You know? But I didn't want to do it to the other events because I wanted to say bye there. Yeah, but like you said, right, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, it I mean, is. when you when you know and you can look at that in in a, you know a month or two and say, why didn't I just do that? Well, because you never know, right? You never know exactly. what's going to happen. That's true. Okay, so so before we get to what you're doing now, um, the, uh, other than be winning that match, certainly one of the highs for you towards the end of your career. So one other match that one other tournament where you just like, God, uh, you know, this was all worth it. Well, I always looked up to Boris Becker, so um, you know, having him on the Davis Cup team at times, I missed the opportunity to play him on tour because I lost the match prior uh, to play him actually in Wimbledon. That was that one hurt. Um, that was my first Wimbledon experience. The first time the match lasted over three days uh, because of rain, <laughs> and I was staying at the St James Court, so driving in back and oh, forth every brutal. day. That was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, yeah. like the early days, right? It's like incredible. Why didn't you stay Typical. in the village uh, anyway? That's yeah, for another time. Because I didn't have the money to rent a house, ah. and uh, you know, you're learning. That was like when I was still only 18 or 19. Okay. Anyway, fasting fast forward. You know, obviously being at Nick Boateng Tennis Academy. Andre Agassi, being close to him, going to some tournaments with him, he became quickly sort of like a role model, uh, somebody I admired. And then I got to play him uh, in Wimbledon second round back in 98 when I was 20 years old. So that was like all of a sudden, wow, I watched him win in 92. Six years later, I'm playing against him on center court. So, you know, I know also Andre didn't play his best match during that time. He was struggling with certain things and with his rackets, etc. And I know all that because I'm in the game. I was going to say, you care. know all that because he probably told it to you afterwards. Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> And I didn't care because, you know, I still, you know, as a tennis player, a lot of times you don't really care what's going on as long as you win the match. And that was definitely one of those moments where I was like, I can always say that I beat Andre uh, on center court after watching and wanting him to win it so badly in 92 because of the connection with the academy and Nick. So that was a highlight, uh, certainly if in my career. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I knew it. I didn't care. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, so let's get to the transition. How, I guess how difficult... Was it because a lot of people don't realize how tough it is actually to transition out of playing, especially when you're as competitive as you were, as good as you were. Um, but the the transition into this role now as a tournament director in Palm Spring in uh, Indian Wells, like, how did that come about? First of all, you know, there's always certain situations sometimes where you know a certain door opens up. Uh, you know, there are opportunities. Uh, and certainly that was the case here. You know, I'm, uh, I've been lucky enough to meet uh, lots of interesting people throughout my career. Um, you know, my fiance, I say fiance, you know, Sarah, she still hasn't decided uh, or wanting to say, marry wait, me. I thought you, you yeah, guys we, were we married. Got engaged. No, we're not married. We got engaged for the 2009, I believe. So, yeah, we have two <laughs> kids now. But no, I think the, we're not getting married. Hey, it's That's working. Probably, it's working. Probably, probably her dad's fault. Um, but, you know, I don't blame him. She does. Um, David. Come on. Exactly. But because of also David Foster, I've gotten to, to know other incredible human beings. And one of them also being Larry Ellison, who yeah. uh, is a big, big tennis fan. And so, you know, once he took over the tournament here, I believe in 2009, you know, I've gotten to, to stay here with him at his uh, private residence here at uh, Sensei Porcupine Creek. And, uh, yeah, listen, I'll take, a, I'll take a room there anytime, yeah, by the way. You, you, Just, you should, definitely. Yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's, a, it's very, look, very special. Put in a good word for me, will I you? will, I yeah, will for yeah, sure. Any, always for the tennis community, of course. <laughs> um, and um, so, you know, things, things have happened. Again, opportunity came, and I was always talking to Larry before anyway that, you know, I always want to be involved in tennis somehow, and if there ever was a tournament that I would like to sort of help out and give my expertise and my ideas, it definitely would be this one since, uh, you know, 
the main main time I spend in LA. It's not too far away. Yeah. Um, you know, I do spend most of my summers now in Europe, and I still go back to Florida quite a bit. But base is Southern California. Kids are going to school here, so all of those sort of uh, check the boxes. Um, and um, yeah, it's sort of like a dream come true in many ways. You know, I loved coming here as a player. I loved uh, loved seeing every every year how the improvements were being made and now being behind yeah. the scenes and. Uh, you know, seeing some of my ideas uh, sort of, um, you know, come come to life, it's, it's it's amazing, it's great, and so many people loving it, and, you know, so... Can you tell me a couple of the ideas that you had um, to push it forward here? Well, I think, you know, when it comes to scheduling, you know, you know how it always is, sort of like a, an Not issue easy. for the players, <clears throat> knowing that myself, uh, over the years, I've always had to wait till, like, sometimes 7, 8, 9 p.m., I don't know what time I'm going on the court the next day, it's a little bit of a struggle, so we're trying to make it uh, a must that we no early afternoon so the players can prepare for the next day it's very nice for you though i have to say because often there's great weather here so you don't know we had a little rain the other day which must have been a big spanner in the works for you like well uh, uh, what do we do you know right. but that right. does help you in some respects is that you kind of know the matches are going to finish right right so you can get the schedule out a little bit earlier Absolutely. And then on top of that is sometimes like if there is a little drizzle and rain and, you know, you don't have to postpone or bring the players back the next day. It's actually kind of nice again because now you're looking at it from a tournament director point of view. It's nice because, uh, you know, the fans get to go and, you know, splurge on merchandise ah, or food I and see. beverage. So I there's see. a positive side on that end, you know, so the fans have to actually kind of explore the site a little bit more. Yeah. You get more feedback that way. But the scheduling has always been something that's obviously very uh, dear to my heart because I know that the players appreciate that. Uh, and you know my role also as tournament director is obviously to make sure the players are treated the right way and they feel comfortable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, with practice courts, um, but also like I, as a player, I remember I always felt like tennis after 10, 15, 10, 30 p.m. in the desert here, it's over. Yeah, it seems like they leave. So I've, I've many times I've played like you know gone on court at 10 p.m., 10, 15 p.m. I played a first set against Nishikori, which you know was like it's a great, awesome. great tennis. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you They're know, gone. it's like quarter to eleven, and everybody leaves and goes, you know, back to the hotel rooms or whatever it is. And I was like, this is too late. We you gotta know, we finish cannot, a little bit exactly. earlier. So we instead of you know night session before, not before seven, not before nine, we I, to not before six and eight. And I think that has worked can uh, I tell tremendously you, well. I was here last night. The match started on Center Court, uh, Stadium One, at six p.m. And I remember thinking to myself when it ended and the guys came on and it was a three set match and the guys came on I think just after eight o'clock and right. I thought this is fantastic and I just you you saying that thank you like honestly because I think a lot of and I will say this I know this with Grand Slams for example at the US yeah. Open and the Australian Open they don't want to start at six because of the news right so what happens is they push it back for example Channel 9 in Australia has their news and their right. news is very important for them at 630 same as in the States, for example, if you're ABC, ESPN, right. the news is at 6.30. So yeah. they want to start the matches at 7, which is crazy to think about. But it is true. But my thought is we have so many different variations of watching the sport now. You yeah. can actually watch two things at once. Right. You can actually have the tennis on if you want and watch the news, either be on your phone or whatever. So I could, I'm going to tell you right now, I, w I hope every single tournament takes a little bit of a, a note from you here. Six o'clock is great to start matches and, at night. And I appreciate that. And, you know, you've been in the game uh, longer than I have. So, you know, what all are you the saying? I'm older than you. That's all. A little okay. bit. Just yeah. I think maybe just by maybe a few years, maybe. I think a few more. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but you know, you know, all the ins and outs. So, yeah. you know, exactly the same thing. And, you know, we always try to, you know, make sure and accommodate the players on top of it as well. And I don't think any one of us enjoys watching tennis at, you know, one, two in the morning, you know, and, and no. the players don't deserve that either because, 
again in the Grand Slams they have the opportunity to, to recover the next day but you know by the time they get off the court let it be two in the morning they don't go to sleep till 5.30 in the morning so it's you know even for their rhythm it's uh, it's very very tough and uh, you know I don't like seeing it uh, because I, I like to watch the matches too but even with the US Open sometimes I can't keep my eyes open that yeah. late you know if I'm in the Tell East Coast it. it's you know it's two o'clock in the morning they're still playing it's it's too late um, and it's again I don't think it's it's fair and it's really one of the only sports I can imagine yeah. that it has to do that and deal with that. I know. I mean, often I'm second night match covering the women at the US Open and I'm there at 1.30 in the morning. And right. it's just, you know, but more importantly, it's the fans that are the ones are suffering as well as the players because, you know, you're sitting up to two in the morning, you got to go to work the next day. So yeah. I hope most tournaments really take that on board and try and start their matches early. And then having said that again, New York crowd's obviously different because they like to stay up a little bit later and have a good time, you know. So they actually do stay till like 12.31 in the morning. But I even think there, after like 12.31, their yeah. threshold is sort of taken, um, but here certainly I think you know by by, by you know between 10, 30, 11 p.m. here it's usually uh, it's over and it needs to try to be over at that time. Well, it's never good in New York because they say the seven train is going to be stopping in a certain amount of time, so you better get your ass back to the city yeah. some other way. <laughs> right. But, um, can I talk about uh, the the partnership with BNP Paribas um, and how great and incredible sponsorship they have been for tennis, but particularly for you? And what's the thing that you feel like you work? best with them what, what do you think as a sponsor um, they're best at I should ask I mean first of all I think you know f they're celebrating 50th anniversary of this year you know sponsoring tennis as a whole yeah so you know for you and I I think you know when we see those kinds of stats and we see that kind of commitment from anyone especially BNP in this case that's something special um, and you know they become sort of you know part of the family in the tennis world and you've seen them for the longest time starting at the French Open, Roland Garros, Indeed. and you see all the highlights now and you look back and you kind of, you know, also pay more attention to it since, you know, sort of like on the outside role. But for us here at the, in the desert, uh, here at the BNP Paribas Open, you know, I think that partnership's been since 2009 now, so it's the 14th year. Again, showing their dedication to the sport, how much they love it, how great it is for their clientele, how engaged they are. Uh, you know, I've gotten to know, uh, you know, the CEO here in the United States, uh, Johnny Fillion, quite yep. well. Yeah. He is... <laughs> He's an absolute, uh, just a charm. Just, a, just yeah. it's, it's amazing to be around him. I mean, you know, sometimes you Good pinch guy. yourself because, you know, he's just so friendly and such a fan of tennis. And, uh, you know, we play here tennis during the event every, you know, towards the end of the tournament in the morning. And he's just uh, uh, easy and supportive and whatever you need. So it's like, a, you know, you we wash each other's hands in many ways. He has yeah. a favor, we have a favor, whatever it might be. So those kinds of partnerships they know they go a long way and that's uh, in my opinion you know that's what life's all about you got to be good with people and vice versa doesn't matter who you are of course the ushers here if you're a volunteer here you know they're all friendly you know everyone goes through a tough day but that even you have to accommodate but BNP has done a tremendous job we're very thankful for it we hope that we continue uh, a long partnership with them um, because uh, they've been very good to the sport of tennis. Yeah, absolutely. Jean-Yves uh, Jean has a great one-header back end too. It's be very beautiful. You Which know, we appreciate because it's very dying much a little like bit, us. right? That's yes. uh, what I hear lately. It's, so. it's dying, supposedly, but yeah. I still think right. it's there. Um, can you tell me a little bit um, from the aspect of being a tournament director, the hardest day that you've had here? I mean, obviously the pandemic must have been a very difficult year and a half for you we had the obviously had the tournament in october of that year but what was the hardest conversation because we were here i was here coaching sam stoza when we all got the call um we were like wait what they're canceling the tournament yeah. like i'll never forget that i was uh actually at our racket house in uh, palm springs and the word was getting around that the tournament was and i said what are you talking about like i was just practicing yesterday right well, what was that whole period like for you 
Yeah, it was it was a very difficult. Because you guys were the forefront of it, right? Like big time in sports. It sure was, and it was a very difficult, you know, very strange and uh, you know unprecedented time. I mean, I remember probably about a week before uh, you know we even do the qualification draw. You know, we got a call from uh, from Larry Ellison saying, you know, here's the board. I guys, I want you guys to talk about this every day with these people in place. Uh, this is the situation, and we got to be on top of it. And this was just when it was starting, sort of like in Italy, yeah, with, yeah. Uh, with you know spread of the virus, etc. And so we were all sort of like just you know educated on it, you know from you know from early on. Um, and so you know we had a call every morning, basically for an hour, hour and a half. So you know trying to listen Crazy. what the situation is. We we heard, yeah. you know who's getting infected by this virus, etc. It spreads you know crazy fast. We got to be careful. We got to be aware of the situation. And uh, and if anyone has sort of like the case of you know. Uh, COVID sniffle? here nearby, it's you know, trouble. be careful, you know, it's just going to be mayhem. And sure enough, you know, everything leading up to like sort of like qualifying. I was on my way, I think I remember like going to the qualification draw and uh, we were called all together into the boardroom and, uh, you know, Eisenhower Hospital called us and said, look, we have a, our first case uh, of COVID. And um, then we were just in the boardroom for about another hour and a half, two hours. And we had to we had to pull the plug and it was the most difficult thing to do because I think literally every single player also from the everybody was here already oh yeah so you know to give that announcement to let them know and still kind of see NBA games were still going on with crowds NHL games were still going on with crowds but we were just saying look we're, we're two weeks away from the final being played here people are coming from all around the world there's just no way that those people will not have the virus so we had to do it. We did the right thing. The first yeah, four absolutely. or five days, we got a lot of, you know, Crap. we were criticized. And they were like saying, come to Miami, go do your thing. Anyway, we know a lot more now. And uh, you can look at the situation either way. But uh, at that time, we certainly did the right thing. Um, and uh, it was a scary time. It was an unprecedented time. I'm glad we're over it. I'm glad we're back to, to, to normalcy. And, uh, you know, I think it shows, you know, record day yesterday yeah, here with you know, over 61,000 people. Day and night session included. Um, incredible. So... Really, really thankful that um, yeah everything is uh, back to where it should be. Okay, uh, just last question. Uh, thanks, first of all, for joining me today because oh, that's just great. To, I love to have you know s- people like you who have been in the game so much and played. And um, I guess, what is your like future? Like, do you want to s- stick around and do this for a while with the tournament directorship, or have you got goals that you want to still do? And I mean, other than get married. Yes, yeah. you know it's about time. <laughs> it's about time. Yeah, you know what they say, right? Like usually when you're like they're together that long and then you get married, it's like a bad sign. Or yeah, it's so dangerous. I think so probably w- actually it's good that you don't get married. Yeah, it's you know, again, it's, it's you know we have two yeah. kids, so it's yeah, yeah. you know we're bonded. Yeah, you know, a for house life anyway. and kids. You're, you're right, exactly. But um, no, I, like I said, I I feel very lucky and privileged uh, to be a part of this here. It's a great team uh, that's been here for a very very long time. Everyone that. Uh, you know, pays tribute to this event. Um, you know, does their very best to make it what it is. Um, so it's a, it's a definitely a team effort, and I want to continue to be a part of it. You know, there's a lot of, lot of great ideas that we have uh, in order to to keep it growing, make it bigger. You know, we already have nice renderings that when I look at them, I can already sort of see the future in it. Great. Uh, we have you know Larry Ellison, who's a, who's a blessing to the game of tennis, who, who uh, you know is a visionary as well, and so you know. Depending really on him a lot of the times, if he wants to continue, uh, you know, investing into this property here, uh, which would be great. Um, you know, we can. Yeah, we can I mean, expand. I've got ideas too. I mean, yeah. I was, and they're I always d- welcome. You know, it's like, look, I, I love walking around here. 
in the grounds and you know getting the feedback from the fans that's also sort of like my role in many ways right a lot of times you do these q and a's or you get like the the feedback but sometimes it's nice when you're like right there and you yeah. can tell right like and you know too when you walk around you know we already have so many great stadium courts yeah we already amazing. have like court four and six that hold also you know a couple of thousands of people yet you know the first three four days because a lot of the singles players also really truly enjoy playing doubles here yeah and people love doubles here. Don't so you love that, though? I mean, I, I got to say, one of the things that I loved about this tournament, as much as anything, it was a tournament that obviously I was known more for my doubles, is that every time I played, it was friggin' packed. Right. And I loved it. I was like, God, these people just, they love, these fans love doubles here. And so it's almost like, in a way, I think a lot of the top players play because it's also a 10-day event and yep. they have a lot of time in between here and sure. Miami, so they don't want to have dead days. They'd rather play a match. But it also shows me that maybe tournaments could do more of that because... For fans to watch doubles with great singles players playing, it only benefits the game as well, you know? And it makes people understand, you know, doubles is still a, a great commodity for the sport. Um, so I think that's the best thing about it. One of the best things about here, yeah. there's many. Yeah. But the fact that the fans love watching the doubles here is yeah. awesome. Yeah, and as a player, again, you know, when you go out on court four and it's already a packed house and you're playing doubles and you're enjoying yourself yeah. and it's good for your singles game, that, you know, also obviously there's a lot of doubles player that, you know, want to make a living. It's, it's fun for them too. Yeah. You know, I get a lot of feedback and they're like, 100%. thank you so much for putting us on that court. And it's like, it's my pleasure, but it's also, I, I need to because the fans demand it in yeah. many ways, you know? Yeah. And it's like, so when I'm in that sort of, you know, scheduling room a lot of times, you cannot imagine the arguments we have. Like even tonight, Stadium 2, night session is, you know, John Isner, Jack Sock. They've already won here a couple of times. Yep. It's going to be a Packed. full house. Yeah. And it's so we have to kind of take all of those things into consideration and not always easy to always, you know, make it the way you want. But, you know, you, you find compromises, but they do love the doubles and they, um, you know, um, that's sort of like, I think, maybe down the road we can, you know, create another great stadium court and maybe it is becomes a, a doubles just a only doubles court. Only yeah. court. That'd so be cool. um, they, they truly love it and, you know, there's talks of maybe building a hotel very near on the site as well. So that would be nice, right? Because, you know, it's, nice. it's, it's crazy busy here during this time of year. Hotel rooms don't come easy. Um, you know, more and more people, I think, want to come out here. Obviously, I think Breakpoint, Netflix has helped yep. to sort of showcase it. I think many people understand more about the game now because it is a complicated game, right? If you want to explain it, how does it work and yeah. what rankings do you need True. to have and scoring and then you're there and what is the Masters 1000, 500, 250, etc. You know, why are the Grand Slam? So it's complicated, but it's fun. And it's uh, and you can see, I think, the, 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 the drive of the people and just enjoying themselves um, on top of, you know, obviously a spectacular venue and all the concession stands and the Nobu restaurants and all those things, obviously that helps the as well, Genius, again, with yep. the vision of Mr. Ellison and the team here, you know, trying to make that happen. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's truly incredible. Well, I can tell you, um, first of all, thanks for joining me today. Second of all, for everybody that's, you know, a tennis fan, if you haven't been out to Indian Wells, you're absolutely missing out on the best tournament outside of any Grand Slam and, and it really is comparable for me to any of the Grand Slams. I think the Australian Open has done an unbelievable sure. job as well with growing the game as far as kids parks and all this sort of stuff and I think that that's where we're probably heading with this tournament and I cannot wait. It's it's the one tournament I know that when players retire they go, oh man, Indian Wells is on, man I miss it out there. Right. So I can absolutely. tell you that for sure. Sam Stozer told me that two days ago. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, But anyway Tommy, you've done a great job with the event. Um, you're a great guy. You're a of tennis in general and just your love and passion hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. For it is second to none. So thanks Appreciate for joining it. me yeah, today. Thanks. It was a pleasure. All Thank right. you. Thanks, mate.